0: Sego, Sewo Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast, focusing on Haudenosaunee cultural topics recorded on Haudenosaunee territory. Our podcasts are produced by Aboriginal Legal Services with the technical assistance of Humble Man Recording. My name is Lisa Van from the Mohawk Nation and the Wolf Clan, I'm the coordinator of the Yohate Negasuna The Road to Your Name program and the host of this podcast.
1: podcast.
0: Welcome to the Yohate Negasuna The Road to Your Name podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate located at the top of the homepage of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services, Toronto, Canada. This is the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. Today's guest has joined us by telephone. So,
1: on
0: today's podcast, we have a. Um, a guest who I'm very excited to talk with—it's criminal defense lawyer, as speaker and author Marie Hennen. So, welcome, Marie, to um, the Yohate De Negus and a podcast.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Okay, um, we're going to talk today with Marie about um, the justice system and um, get her take on various aspects of the justice system. Um, So the first question, I guess, I'd like to ask is, um, do you think Canadians get the justice they can afford?
2: Uh, I think it's uh, true not only of uh, Canadians. Uh, I think that's true uh, across the board. It's true also in the United States to an extent. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a legal aid system that is in place Uh, In certainly in Ontario, across Canada as well, uh, that is not funded in the way that it needs to be funded to be uh, providing uh, the optimal service to members of the public. I can tell you that people that do legal aid work, including our office, um, are profoundly competent lawyers and Mm -hmm. and profoundly talented lawyers. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are limitations. I, I think we know this from the fact that there are growing numbers of unrepresented individuals appearing in courts. Uh, and so there are many people that are receiving no representation at all uh, because uh, it is not, it's not not—it's not being funded. It's not yeah. being funded in a robust way at all. So, you know, the, the question to me is not uh, are you getting the representation you can afford, but in fact having... Thousands and thousands of people who are getting no representation whatsoever.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, what does what needs to be done? What's the solution to that?
2: Well, one of the solutions is uh, certainly funding. Uh, mm-hmm. In Ontario, we've seen recently uh, funding being injected to other arms of the justice system. We we see it being. Injected into policing, injected into uh, prosecution, but we don't see the same sort of financial injections at all on the uh, side, which provides counsel to people who are charged with crimes. So Mm -hmm. legal aid continues to be uh, chronically underfunded. And when you're chronically underfunded, what it means is you limit certificates, you limit hours. Uh, you begin to increase the number of people who are walking into a courtroom and being asked to understand a, a system that for most people is entirely foreign.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, even the language used in the courtrooms, I have found, you know, um, people don't understand even the terminology used on a regular basis in a courtroom. It-
2: Well, it's true, and I I think we have to begin to get our heads around the fact that it is a necessary, essential service. Mm -hmm. You would not ask someone to go to a doctor and diagnose themselves. You would not ask them to figure it out on their own. And the the entire structure of the court and the language, you're you're absolutely right, is uh, foreign to most. The process is completely incomprehensible to most, and um, it, it, it is... You know, although there are moves to make it more understandable, to make it user friendly, it is a a complicated process to navigate. And it doesn't matter how user friendly you make it. Uh, People go to school for many, many, many years to understand criminal law, how to defend uh, what the live issues are. So you, you can't expect a member of the public to navigate All of that. It's just it's impossible. So even if we were if we change the language to make it more accessible, that is not an excuse to to deprive people. And it's not an answer. uh, That is a basis to deprive uh, people, marginalized members of the community with proper legal assistance.
0: Yeah. And it's also um, such an adversarial process. And especially when you're talking about indigenous people going through that system, yes. and the, the process is so adversarial, which is which is so foreign to them culturally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, um, I think. Um, they also need more resources in terms of um, you know, sentencing options.
2: oh, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with it more. I, you know, I think when we you plunk down the the effectively the Anglo-American legal system and impose it on on everybody and it, particularly indigenous communities, where uh, the approach to, to crime and to uh, community is very, very different. Um, this idea that, that we think this makes sense is, um, is wrong. It's just wrong. It's not productive. It is not relevant to the people who are coming through it. Um, we don't resource it to think of alternative things. I mean, We have sentencing circles, a form of them uh, sometimes in, in some courts, uh, mm-hmm. here in Toronto as well, uh, but we don't put our resources in in alternatives to incarceration and, um, uh, and, because I think much of it needs to be very significantly and substantially resourced, we don't integrate um, a lot of the aspects that need to be integrated to effectively assist people who find themselves before courts, which often involves Uh, as you know from your experience, many, many things. It doesn't only involve an alternative or other ways of sentencing. It involves housing. It involves social services. It often involves mental health assistance. And so, you know, all of those things, if we begin to think about a bit of integration, um, I think we would be a little bit more productive in reducing incarceration and, and assisting people who, who really shouldn't be before the, the criminal justice system?
0: Yes, and oftentimes in the in the justice system, um, Indigenous people are, the the stereotypes of them are perpetuated, and the prejudices sure. are are so um, um, you know on display in a courtroom. Sometimes, um, is there a role for a defense counsel to um, assist in in this um, problem?
2: Well, I think uh, there absolutely is a role and you have to call it if, if it's happening uh, before you. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I don't know what your experience is, but, you know, my experience is often it is um, beneath the surface. And so it's so hard in those cases where it's not overt um, to to identify exactly what is happening, mm-hmm.
1: uh, which
2: is, you know, often an assumption and an attitude Uh, and an approach that is informed by incorrect prejudicial thinking. Uh, So I I always find that that, that's sort of harder, because when you're walking into court and and you know that there is, it's apparent the the approach that's being taken, those are tougher to... um, uh, to call out when it's it's a, a little uh, it's it's less it's less overt, but there is a role obviously, and defense lawyers do mm-hmm. uh, call out uh, these issues
0: um, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, as a defense lawyer, would you have a um, different strategy if you were defending an indigenous accused person opposed to a non-indigenous accused person?
2: Well, I, I have defended Indigenous persons and represented Indigenous persons in a variety of uh, different contexts as well. Um, I, I don't know if the the, uh, the strategy is is different. Uh, I think the most uh, significant thing that concerns me in the context of um, representing I- Indigenous uh, members of the community is the sense of uh, being profoundly disconnected from what is happening um, because it is often just foreign and antithetical to um, indigenous values and communities and even means of communication that um, the thing I think is important is to ensure that your client feels very much um uh, not only a part of the process, but heard uh, very actively. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that is really, really critical uh, in that in those circumstances. You know, this assumption that you think you know uh, best is just not accurate. And I think you have to work to ensure uh, that um, you you your client is very much a part of the process and, and feels very heard. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we have a long way to go in that respect. I think in that Canadian justice system. I
2: think so. I, I really do. I mean, I remember um, doing a tour with a judge. Uh, so we went. He took me on um, a tour of some northern Ontario fly-in communities and um, courts that were, were doing the the regular sessions. And I think the thing that I walked away from that that really was very, very obvious was just this sense of uh, complete disconnection from the language and the process and what was happening. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just had zero relevance uh, to um, into the members of the community that were coming forward because it was disconnected from the community, right? Mm-hmm. It just it, it had so little to do with the concerns of that particular community, the dynamics, uh, the particular issues that were very much alive, and they change. And I think we are not. Um, the criminal justice system does not think of community-based justice. Yeah, I don't know if that's a a, a good way to articulate it, but it, it's it's sort of a, a one-size-fits-all, and I think it approaches it in a very um, uh, particular way, and I don't think it has any sensitivity either culturally or, or from a community perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, now, you've stated that you're very secure in your role in the justice system. How would you explain your role to a client?
2: My role uh, is explained to a client by, uh, first of all, explaining what the justice system is uh, and explaining to them that you know, we, there are, there's a process we go through. You'll have an opportunity to be heard, and often you feel uh, quite silenced until that moment that uh, your your lawyer can begin to advance your case and speak on your behalf. Uh, I tell them the expectation is not a guaranteed anything, but the expectation is you'll have an objective and impartial judge, and that you'll get your opportunity to advance your your best case. And in terms of my role, my role is to uh, give my client uh, a realistic assessment of the pros and cons of their case, to give them uh, a professional assessment of what I think the defenses are, uh, to give them a professional assessment of what I think will be successful and will not be successful. Uh, It often involves managing expectations. so you know that that is often the thing you explain to a client, which is a how the process is going to go, and b what your role is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so
0: um, so in the justice system, there's there's these principles of truth seeking and fairness. Do you, but they're not always present, are they?
2: Well, I think they're they're sometimes at odds. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's. There is no question, and that—that's sort of a struggle that the justice system has always had—is uh, that if you—if we were only focused on truth-seeking, for example, if that was our goal and our only goal, then you would say that all sorts of things, uh, no matter how offensive they are, if they get the truth out, would be uh, appropriate. I mean, when you think of discussions around. Um, Using torture in the in the context of uh, terrorist investigations, we we saw that in the United States, and we saw it being sanctioned. Um, the idea behind it was, well, if you're getting at the truth, it's fine. You know, so there are a number of things that, if we believe that the truth was the only goal of the justice system, uh, we would implement. But the concept of justice is broader than that. You know, part of a significant component of it. And that uh, finds its expression in uh, the, uh, the right against self-incrimination. It finds itself in the presumption of innocence and the burden of proof, as we also believe that the state has enormous power and that that has to be exercised in a very fair way. Uh, so the criminal justice system also is focused on ideas that are designed to um, reflect at least what we believe are principles of fairness, which is why we don't allow police, for example, to abuse their authority without with impunity, or we try not to. We don't allow confessions that are unfairly obtained. We we don't allow evidence to come in, even though it may be truthful, uh, if it's obtained in the in breach of your constitutional rights. So I think what you see is that. Um, the legal system always struggles between these two things. The idea that, uh, it is a, it's got a truth seeking function, but it also has a fairness function. And those aren't always necessarily, um, consistent.
0: Yeah. hmm Yeah. Uh, people have said, you know, the justice system has many flaws and that is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. Um, uh, we've just seen a couple of cases recently in the states, and and I think we are as as a Canadian country influenced by the U.S. justice system, right? I think that's true. Um, because of the media, because of law and order yep. shows, because of all these things, how do you feel about televised court cases?
2: Uh, you know, I, I it's been a long uh, running debate. Certainly in Canada. Uh, we know that you have televised uh, uh, cases, hearings at the Supreme Court of Canada. So you can tune in and you can see what's happening. Um, you know, there are pros and cons to televising cases. You know, one is uh, sensationalizing it, uh, d- you know, impacting the, the behavior of uh, the judges or lawyers or, or witnesses. You know, on the other hand, uh, the value obviously is it allows people to have a first-hand front row seat as to exactly what's happening in a courtroom. Uh, And there is, you know, there is some value to that. Uh, You have to also think of the privacy interests of the people involved. Uh, I don't think witnesses want necessarily, who didn't ask to be in the criminal process, to have their uh, faces televised. And I think accused also don't necessarily want their cases broadcast. So I I don't know. I mean, I I, I think I'm of two minds. I -hmm. I think uh, cases that are um, of national importance uh, are cases that should be accessible to the public. And and you see that, as I said, because the Supreme Court of Canada deciding cases that uh, impact us all do televise their hearings. So you can watch those. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not so sure that uh, we want to emulate the sort of sensationalism of uh, American justice.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's okay when it's over in an hour, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. But when it takes a lot longer, you got to be patient.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: that's, that's right.
0: Um now, you've written your, your book, Nothing But the Truth, mm-hmm. a memoir. Um, mm-hmm. How long did it take to write your book, and what was that experience like?
2: It took about a year for me to write because I didn't quit my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was doing it and continuing to to work as well. Um, and it was interesting to me. I, I think I when I started writing and, and trying to... Uh, explain a little bit more of, of who I am, I found that I really couldn't do that without explaining the, the people in my life that were important and my history. And I think uh, where I come from and the, the people that I came from very much impacted uh, who I am and sort of explain a little bit more um, the various aspects of my, my personality or my, mm-hmm. my being.
0: Well, you write in your book that you're used to being described as controversial or polarizing, which you declare you mm-hmm. are neither. Um, how mm-hmm. would you describe your professional self?
2: Uh, you mean what I think of myself personally as a professional. I think i'm I'm a professional. I'm tough. I value my my work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think when you're talking about people describing you as, Uh, polarizing or controversial, considering they know nothing about you. Mm -hmm. Uh, What they know really are uh, the cases that you work on, and they know what your job is. And so I think what really is being said is that uh, as a defense lawyer, uh, that job is um, not necessarily understandable to a number of people. That's what they find controversial, because Mm -hmm. the questions you're asked, are really those questions which is how can you do your job how you how can you defend a person charged with x how can you defend a person you know is guilty it's the questions are always directed at how you can do your job mm-hmm. in other words how can you be a defense lawyer and you know that that's that's i think what people find um innately controversial or polarizing mm mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and as you as you've explained in the book, you, you, you've explained the the role of the defense attorney very well, mm-hmm. and and also the roles of the other judicial practitioners. Right. Yeah, right. we we sort of need all of those people.
2: You do. You need that that constellation of. Um, of actors. And, you know, uh, part of this is understanding the role of the crown attorney, the prosecution, which is very significant and very different in this country than it is in the United States. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, You know,
2: the prosecution in Canada is uh, very much view them, they view themselves as and are ministers of justice. In other words, they have an extra obligation to be Uh, acting obviously in the public interest but also being fair to uh, the accused and so they they hold themselves to very high ethical standards and we're actually very fortunate in this country that we have prosecutors uh, of such great caliber and who really really take that role to heart and uh, courts hold them uh, accountable to that standard and at the same time we have an independent unelected uh, judiciary, so don't, we don't have judges running on platforms that are designed to get them reelected.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, I mean, all the all the actors are very, very significant and and uh, understand what their obligations are vis a vis the public, vis a vis their client, for me, vis a vis the administration of justice. So, they're all important components to to the the system working well or mm-hmm. as well as it can.
0: Hmm. Um, uh, let's see what you, you say that you have a chronic condition of being serious. How do yes. you maintain, how do you maintain, um, a balance in your life?
2: Well, I, am not sure that I, anybody who knows me would say I'm particularly successful at maintaining any sort of balance. I think, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm probably, uh, pretty intense would be a consistent description, pretty focused, um, And, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm just not, I wish I were, I mean, I can make a joke, but I'm not a particularly uh, lighthearted person. I think I tend to be more, more serious. Um, It's just the way I lean. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I I maintain a balance, but to be honest, at least I don't really struggle a whole lot with uh, sort of adding the extra pressure uh, on myself of uh, being something that I'm not, or, or trying to do everything. Um, you know, I, mm-hmm. I try to do, I think what works for me, what, what sits well with me, what, what relieves stress for me and, and uh, sort of strike my own sort of, I, I calibrate pretty personally, but I don't think I would say that I necessarily uh, strike a perfect balance. I, mm. I certainly don't. Oh, what kind of
0: things would you say are fun and what, what makes you mm. laugh? Wow.
2: Well, <laughs> uh, well, I, I things that are fun. Uh, things that are fun are obviously my, um, uh, extensive interest in anything, uh, fashion oriented. I, <laughs> I love it. I love, I love art. Mm-hmm. Um, I love cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I love. I think many of the things that that uh, most people do, obviously, reading, um, can bring a huge sense of um, joy to me. Um, although I've been reading more nonfiction. Usually, I'm a fiction reader, but uh, more nonfiction recently. Mm-hmm. Um, So all those things. Mm. I mean, you know, I I am human occasionally.
0: (laughs) Documentaries. Do you like documentaries? Obsessed with documentaries.
2: (laughs) Obsessed with any. (laughs) Yes. I mean, uh, that has been a longstanding. Any documentary, I guess, because it's an accessible two hour dose of of uh, stuff you never knew about, but for yeah. the documentary,
0: oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, the only ones I can't watch are the ones on the earth and like, fine really? med, you know it's like a horror mm. story to me
2: well that well, that is a horror story that yeah. is a horror story, although i've I've watched a few of those as well. yeah
0: now, what about um women in the um profession of law? we don't have mm-hmm. we don't have enough. like how can we remedy this?
2: Well, you know, I think law societies have really been uh, struggling with that question of how how it is that we have, for example, uh, 50 percent of uh, women uh, in law schools, sometimes even more. And then by the time you get out to uh, year seven, eight, nine and 10 and even beyond that, um, women are leaving in droves. So first of all, there's a couple of things. I mean, the answer depends on what demographic you're talking about, because the 50% of women in law school are not racialized
1: mm-hmm.
2: women, right? Mm-hmm. That there is a very, very low percentage of both male and female, um, in, uh, in law school. So uh, I think the demographics, you have to sort of ask yourself, well, what is it you're trying to remediate because, uh, You know, as a general rule, the women that have up to this point been in law school or gotten to law school are of a particular, um, have particular opportunities that have been presented to them. So why are they leaving? I I think they leave because the uh, profession can be profoundly frustrating and limiting because uh, there are all sorts of um, roadblocks that are thrown up, particularly as you get more senior that relate to your ability to bring in business, your ability to connect and network, all the sorts of things you know women are being asked to do in an environment which has only uh, created those sorts of networking opportunities and business generating opportunities uh, for men. So it becomes very, very difficult and women do get very disheartened by the inability to access uh, a, a seat at that, at that table. I think they're also uh, frustrated because, uh, you know, so many different <laughs> obligations are being placed on them. And this notion that you have to have a perfect work-life balance and you've either got to be a, a bad mother or a bad lawyer, you've got to pick which it's going to be, imposes this this dichotomy that is impossible for, for most women to To meet, and it gets overwhelming and frustrating because you're given an either-or proposition. And I think we do a really lousy job of promoting women, of elevating women, of giving women access to and runway to to demonstrate their their skill and their talent. So I mean, I think that's that's something that the the, the profession can adjust. But we have a, a you know a fundamental problem as well that we don't have uh, women from minorities being represented you know in any numbers of any any note whatsoever and Mm -hmm. so you got to ask yourself why is it that law schools because there the problem is law schools don't seem to be drawing that demographic we have to think about how we can actively recruit uh, to ensure that you're getting uh, women and you're getting a population of professionals that are i think representative of of the community Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a different i think that's a different question and a different solution. So, uh, you know, there are, there are many, many, um, issues that probably need to be addressed.
0: Hmm. Well, here's the, here's the final question. If you hadn't chosen law, what would you be doing today?
2: Mm, I think that would have been, I was very, um, interested in uh, medicine. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a possibility. Uh, Very interested in architecture, which is the other possibility. I think uh, those two things would be very much uh, on the table for me personally. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you see yourself in law um, a number of more years? Well, now that
2: is a critical (laughs) question. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not sure that I do. Um, I'm not sure that I do. I think uh, at some point, I, I would like to do something different. I think the the world is the big one, and I think our our skill set that we we develop in law uh, is translatable to a lot of different areas. So I'm not sure that uh, uh, I'm necessarily going to uh, to die in a courtroom. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
0: what a thought! Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was just wondering, have you have you been doing zooms into court a lot? Yeah, we've
2: had. Yeah, we have actually. We've done a lot of um, we've done a lot of zoom trials and hearings here in our in our office. So, and I have personally done uh, quite a few. And you know, I think on one hand, I don't know how how you found it. I I found it um, you know sometimes incredibly convenient, but it is really depersonalized. Yes. Uh, that that's the what do you think?
0: Oh yes, for sure. We've done Zoom circles, and and it's nowhere near um, being there in person. You know. Yeah,
2: you lose the human factor, yeah. which is sort of the whole point of the justice system.
0: Yeah, for sure, and and also, you know, you you have that energy that you can't see, but yes, you can true. feel. Yeah,
2: it's true. That's very true.
0: So, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners with, Marie?
2: Um, you know, I I just I think that um, as it relates to uh, the justice system and indigenous um, community, I think we need to do a lot more than Gladue reports. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, And I think we need to uh, really, really uh, face the over incarceration. You know, the government gets report after report after report. Uh, They all say the same thing. And uh, we cannot seem to get the motivation and the impetus to reverse course on that. And I, I think that um, is a central issue that has to be resolved uh, in, in Canada's justice system. It's just not, uh, it's not sustainable, it's not fair, and it's, uh, it's inhumane. Uh, so I think we've got to do better.
0: And I agree we have to do better. The justice system needs to um, step it up a bit. Uh,
2: Yes, (laughs) a lot on this issue, a lot. And the government in particular Mm -hmm. uh, that has all of the uh, resources at their disposal and knows of the problem has to step it up. It, It really is time.
0: Mm hmm. Well, I want to say thank you, Yahweh. I know you put some a lot of your well, not a lot, but some mm-hmm. of your language in your um, mm-hmm. in your book. And I really appreciated that as I was reading it, because um, as a Mohawk woman, um, and trying to take language um, as much as I can and reclaim it, I appreciate it when others use their um, traditional language. Thank you. In whatever format. Um, I want to say Nyawe, thank you to Marie hennen She's been our guest today on the Yohate Negasuna Road to Your Name podcast.
1: Nyawe,
0: thank you for listening to this episode of the Yohate Negasuna, the Road to Your Name Podcast, which has been produced by Aboriginal Legal Services and hosted by me, Lisa Venevry. There are 10 episodes in this podcast series. Let's meet again on the next episode. This has been the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate, located at the top of the homepage of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services Toronto, Canada. This has been the Yohate Negusuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series.